Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for May 15th, 2013. The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. Let me go around the virtual table and introduce my co-hosts. I got Chuck Monster, who is the editor-in-chief and chief comic book artist at VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Oh, not all that much. Very glad to be here with two of my pals. Indeed, indeed. And of course, as always, Dr. Dave Schwartz, the director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hi there. Dave, uh, you sound like you're recovering from a deathly illness. Are you all right? I'm doing okay today. I sh- if, if anything weird happens, uh, <laughs> I, I won't be here, but I'm, I'm here now. Uh, my name is Hunter Hillegas, and I make Vegas Mate for the iPhone and the iPad. Um, so let's see. Uh, we've got um, a couple of announcements up at the top, and then we're in some follow-up, and then uh, some, some stuff that's happened uh, since the last show. So let's start with the announcements. We can churn through these really quickly. Um, first up, the uh, Flipboard magazine I've been doing um, in that Flipboard app is now available on Android. I had a couple of people ask me about that, and it now is out. So if you have an Android phone or tablet and the Flipboard app, you can find that um, Viva Vegas Flipboard magazine in there. It's just a collection of news stories that I find as I'm doing my daily reading. So you may find it interesting. So that is available for Android users as well. Um, Dr. Dave, let's uh, remind people about your book. Where can they get the uh, edition of your book, the new edition of your book? Well, this is the new fantastic casino edition of the book, which it will just solve so many problems in your life. What is the name of the book? What is the name of the book? The name is Roll the Bones, The History of Gambling, Casino Edition, and just a book that you've got to have. I mean, it'll be awesome once you get it. Just so much fun to read. I just hear from people how much they like reading it. And I wish I could make one of those infomercials for it. It will be really cool, really high energy, lots of fun. But you can imagine it. Um, and you can find more, learn more about the book at rollthebonesbook.com. I've got little factoids. I've got a series of videos of me explaining each chapter. So pretty much, you know, if you go through the hours of content on the site and then decide to buy the book, you should have a good idea what you're getting. Yeah. And for those folks that already have the book, well, thank you. But, um, <laughs> you know, you can check out the website and see Dave uh, do his his narration as well. So um, even if you already have the book, it there's it's worth checking out. Yes. Um, all right. Great. So uh, definitely pick up Dave's book. Let's see what else. Um, I think we've got uh, – other than that, we both – both Chuck and I, I think have projects in the works. I'm working on a new app for Las Vegas visitors that is still a secret, but more will be revealed soon. And Chuck, I know you talked about uh, an upcoming redesign of some Vegas tripping stuff that you wrote about um, that you must be working on as well. So, Yes, sir. I have uh, been working for the last few months to uh – uh, redo the technological underpinnings of our website, and that's going to re- uh, lead to uh, thorough recoding, redesign, everything. I have no idea when this thing's going to launch. <laughs> it's going to take a really long time because it's basically me, and I got like one person sort of helping me. But uh, you know, between this, that, and the other thing, I'm going to try and get this thing done, hopefully this year. If not, well, then we'll see what happens. Yeah, those are always quite large uh, endeavors. So I, I wish you luck. I know that goes. Um, <laughs> but uh, I know that people will be excited to see the fruits of your labor. 
um, when it's when it's all finished. And uh, when it comes to the app, I hope folks are interested. Definitely be talking about it a lot more in detail. Uh, I'm actually I'm excited. I got some uh, some people testing it out in the field now that are uh, on their way to Las Vegas. So that's always fun to see one of these things come together. I don't know when that's going to be available either, but I think it'll pro- should hopefully be sometime in the next six to eight weeks. I'm hoping so. Definitely. Um, talk about that more as it gets closer. All right. Uh, Before we jump into the show, we uh, need to remind you all about VIMF, the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic, which is coming up October 19th at The D in Las Vegas. We were super thrilled to announce The D as our host hotel on our show last time. Um, Since then, at the time of the show, we did not have the uh, hotel promo code to give out, but that has since been uh, made available to us. So if you have not yet booked your hotel, make sure you use the code. I believe it's VIMF13, V-I-M-F-P-1-3. Um, and if you, if by chance, had already made a reservation um, and did not get the promo code applied to your room, you can call the hotel and they will be happy to do that for you. Uh, what is, I can't remember, what is it, uh, what are we, what is the promo code? Is it, uh, what's the discount percentage? Do you remember, Chuck? Oh boy, I, I think I forget. I think it was twenty five percent, maybe off of the prevailing rates, something like that. Twenty percent, yeah, something like that. I mean, it's yeah. an, it's a not insignificant um, discount that you will definitely want to take advantage of. And there's no resort fee at the D. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely want to make sure you take advantage of that. Um, and uh, we would love to have you stay with us down there at the hotel. Chuck and I uh, went to see the room where we will be doing the show when we were in in town a couple of weeks ago and I think it's going to be fantastic. It's a great looking spot. Really, I think really perfectly set up for the kind of show that we do. So um, I think it's going to be great. And then of course, as, as we get closer and closer to VIMP weekend, um, you know, we're announcing some of the uh, other events that are going to be going on in the days uh, leading up to, and perhaps uh, right around the event. So um, we had another announcement this week. Um, on Vegas tripping, and Chuck, this this is your brainchild. So why don't I let you explain exactly what this is what this is about? Okay, this is in response to uh, the public desire and need for people to display uh, their collect casino collectibles in public, a specific type. It seems that. Uh, a slew of our of of the the mafia members, the most extreme of goofballs, uh, have taken to collecting old satin casino jackets. Uh, why this happened, who knows? But it's but it's uh, possibly in response to an old VT feature from years ago that t- that uh, regaled the the beauty of them. Uh, but uh, we have quite a group of people who have collected these things, and now uh, at at misnomers uh, sort of instigation last year uh, this is going to become a thing where people are going to uh, get to display their their gamer their game jacket in a fashion show uh, equal parts project one way and equal parts gong show uh, in front of the greater collective crowd of the universe there will be judges there will be prizes there will be nonstop hilarity for however long that it takes. Uh, so the announcement was made with with few details other than to say that's happening specifically to get people to start 
hunting down your jackets. If you have them, if you don't, uh, go to the casino gift shops and try and find them. Uh, thrift stores. Um, eBay is a great place to find them. So get your casino jackets. Pick out the best ones. There will be a judging criteria at some point uh, to help people know how we're going to score these things. But the only rule really right now is no denim. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, once uh, Chuck, you had sent me some of the uh, the graphics that we were going to be using for the announcement uh, in the in the days pre- leading up to it, and I showed my wife. And uh, she immediately flipped out and went right to eBay. I don't know if she's if tech, we haven't really come up with our rules, so I'm not sure if she's going to be eligible to win anything. But um, nonetheless, she was very excited and started uh, browsing through all these things. And we actually were talking uh, winning strategy a little bit um, <laughs> to figure out uh, where you might go. I think you know eBay is definitely a strong contender, though eBay, of course, everyone has access to eBay, so. Right. You, if you really want to tip the scales in your favor, you know, and you can get out to a Las Vegas thrift store, I have to think that you could find some amazing, great candidates that no one else would have access to. Yes. Uh, that's I've just gotta, a guess. I've got to say, having been in a lot of Las Vegas thrift stores, there are some really good things in there. I mean, there's some really awesome stuff you wouldn't believe existed. So, yeah, that, that's my, <laughs> that gets my vote, too. Yeah, so I think if you really want to dress to impress, you uh, might want to – Want to take a gander uh, on your next trip and see what and see what they've got? Because I wouldn't be surprised if you could come up with something amazing. And I, I have to say, again, with the criteria not having been written, how can we not give extra points for reversible? Yes, I mean reversible. That- <laughs> there's there's a bunch of we've been we've been kicking around a couple of the, the, the ideas like reversible was one. Uh, if the casino is closed, uh, yes, that's one too. If it's closed and it's been imploded, you get a couple extra points. You know, I have to give my own special prize if someone can find a jacket from a casino that never opened. Ooh, if you can get a Countryland like USA jacket, oh, then yeah. you I will give you something. It might be blood. Or a handshake, <laughs> but I will give you something of extreme value. That would be incredible. So I challenge you, people of Earth, to uh, to find something. So yeah. yes, that is the um, satin casino jacket contest, which we World Series. Excuse me, I've got to get the name right. The, the World, World Series. Series of Satin Casino Jackets. Right, right, of yes. course. Uh, and uh, we will continue to uh, pump out information about that and other Vimp related activities as we get closer. So as you're planning your VIMP trip, if you do want to take advantage of all these other things, you know, just keep in mind that you might want to add a day ahead or, um, you know, make sure that you got time to do some of this stuff. So um, if that interests you, I would uh, recommend considering it. We're about five months away. I know, I know. It's getting, yeah, we are actually really close yeah. to five months. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Cannot wait. Very exciting. Um, it's going to be a really good time. So all right. Moving. And that's all for today. And that's all for today, yes. It's, this is the VimpCast. Um, moving into the show, I actually want to do a little bit of follow-up because we've been getting some really great comments on the Vegas Gang Podcast website uh, as we posted some of these shows. It's amazing how some of these things that, I, that we've said on the show or topics that we've brought up have lived on through several comment threads. Um, and in one case... Uh, that's going to happen again today. But first, the first thing I want to talk about real quickly, because we mentioned it on the last show, and since then the policy has seemingly changed, is Google Glass, which is this wearable computer doohickey thing that Google is starting to send out to um, developers and early adopters. And we had talked about it on the last show, 
Uh, one of the features of Google Glass is to take photos and video via a mounted camera and also present you with information um, that it can look up through the Google search engine. Um, and originally, there had been a story uh, taught from casino spokespeople, including one from Caesar, saying that they had no problem with Google Glass. Well, since Google Glass is now in the hands of actual humans, uh, that has been revised, as we might have expected. Um, this Caesars has now gone on the record to say that Google Glass is absolutely not allowed when you're uh, in the gaming area. Uh, they treat it just like uh, they would treat a camera, a video camera, or a still camera. As you can't sit down at a blackjack table with a camera rolling, and they treat glass the same way. They they don't seem to be discriminating against whether or not you have it actually actually engaged. They don't want it on your face when you're playing. Uh, any of those games. So, you know, I think we uh, thought that this might change as the reality of glass became a thing, but uh, it was a pretty quick turnaround on that one. And so if you do, uh, or if you are a Google Glass user, you should not expect to be able to film your casino vacation from a first person point of view. No big surprise, but I think worth noting since we were just talking about it. Um, next up is Boyd, the topic that will not die. Uh, we had talked about Boyd in relation to the Resorts World announcement and selling of Echelon in like show number four. Um, <laughs> and since then, we've con- the con- discussion has continued. Um, and you know, there were two. There's some great comments on the uh, on the show notes there that I wanted to quickly um, bring attention to. And both comments were from friend of the show Jeff. Uh, Jeff is a uh, is a great guy. He's been to many of our our Vimp events. Oh. And, yeah, all of our VIMP events. I think maybe one of the only people that could probably say that. And um, longtime supporter of the show and uh, and and um, lucky for us, never afraid to uh, submit his opinion, especially when he thinks that we're wrong. Absolutely. So what, I'm going to – I've got two comments from him because I both think they're very interesting and maybe places where it highlights my, my, my disagreement with him. And I, I don't want to – hopefully I'm not mischaracterizing his position, but I think generally speaking – he feels like Boyd is a company that's doing some – not perfect maybe, but doing some good work downtown and we are probably a little bit too hard on them. Um, so here's one comment from Jeff. Um, Sam Boyd's Fremont has redone the casino floor, lobby, and rooms within the last couple of years and they are good enough for, for most any downtown customer. So, OK. This is what I would say because I think this comment is really telling. That may be true. But downtown is at this – it seems like downtown's at this interesting point where they have an opportunity to bring in new customers. But they're not going to do that if they're trying – if they're going to settle with good enough uh, and not try and go the extra mile. This seems like an opportunity for downtown and for Boyd to um, expand their customer base. And if they're only shooting for good enough, then that's probably not going to happen. And so I've, I – Pick that particular comment out as something where I think maybe I disagree with Jeff a little bit as far as uh, as far as how they should be handling that. So um, the other one, uh, which I'll paraphrase because it's a little bit long, is Jeff's talking about the California, and he call he coins a phrase the town car conundrum, and basically the idea of it is a company has a successful product, the their customer base is aging and dying off. What do they do? You know, do they change the product and alienate the customers? Do they wait for them to die and potentially lose money and have a hard time transitioning to the next thing? But I think this is again a situation where, you know, if all products have a lifespan and will eventually be cannibalized, and you want to be the 
person doing the cannibalization, right? It's much better situation when you get to kill off your own product on your own terms than it is when someone else comes along and takes it from you and you don't have a strategy to move on. So yeah, it is a tough thing and it really takes brave executives and strong vision to be able to do that because it is scary to kill the golden goose. But if that is really what's happening and these customers are going away and they're not going to be able to support the company in the next, you know, over the next several decades, then what choice do they have but to, uh, you know, change change direction and really try and court newer customers that will be able to sustain their growth and and uh, and their performance over the next few years. So, Hunter, you know, uh, Netflix is kind of a good example of this because they had been doing the mail subscription. You, whatever, send them twenty bucks a month, and you can have as many DVDs mailed to you. Right. So it it kind of killed. They cannibalized the video store. They killed. Uh, uh, Blockbuster, etc., and they and Blockbuster never fully uh, got on their own horse to cannibalize their own business and move into the next domain. Now Netflix was smart enough to see, hey, you know, the mail is kind of a bad idea. That's actually the middle stage here, and they jumped to streaming. So they actually killed Blockbuster. And then they killed their own mail order service, right. and are and are extremely incredibly successful. And it's not casinos, but 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 the metaphor is sort of the same. There's a lot of examples in technology for this sort of thing, right? I mean, Apple had a really vibrant iPod business that they killed with the iPhone, um, and it's the inverse is really interesting. Also in tech, is Microsoft, who has really powerful Office and Windows businesses that they've been. They have not launched products like web-based versions of Office and other things in the past because they were worried about protecting the money they were making from Office, the desktop product. And now, of course, other competitors like Google are coming in to eat their lunch. So it there are a lot of examples of this sort of phenomenon um, working in both directions. Yeah. And uh, so I, I don't know. I thought Jeff's comments were very interesting, um, yes. even if I don't agree with him all the time. Um, very uh, well thought out and much appreciated. Excuse me. Um, let's see, two more, two more comments, uh, follow up and then we'll move on. Uh, one was, a, a friend of the show, David Ivy was talking about, uh, we had mentioned Zappos last time and just, uh, reiterating this sort of strange Zappos culture where you're sort of forced to be friends with everyone you work with and you have to live in a dorm down by the company headquarters. And, um, it, it seems like we're not the only folks out there that think this is a little strange. And I know that Tony Shea is... Uh, putting a lot of money into downtown. And uh, of course, I think the city of Las Vegas is very, very happy to see that investment being made. And I got, I got no problem with that at all. But it is interesting to see the the sort of cultish devotion to the way that they're setting themselves up to operate, um, which is the part of, that's the part of it that I don't quite understand. But it was interesting to see that there are other folks out there that have the same question. Incidentally, uh, Norm referred to – the great Norm Clark exclamation point uh, referred to Tony Shea uh, thing the other day as Tony Shea and his followers mm-hmm. <laughs> was, was the, pretty much what he, what he said. And I found that to be quite uh, supportive of our arguments. Yeah, I mean you know, Tony Shea has built not just Zappos. He built a company before that and very successful and putting a lot of money into an area that otherwise probably would not – be in great shape. So I'm I'm not an anti Tony Shea person, but the 
I also think that any community, you know, you, if it gets too myopic and is centered around one idea, can uh, maybe have, um, you know, it may not end up the way that people would hope if that's what, what ends up happening. So I'd, al- I'd also like to suggest again that people read Stacey Willis's article about it. It's, it's really good. I'll throw out a quick quote, and Hunter, I'll send this to you so you can include it in the show notes. But she just has a line here that I think is really good. She talks about how the the culture is intentionally whimsical, rule-breaking by careful orchestration. So you've got a bowling alley in your cube and stuff like that. And she's this great line, which is, but I can't help but wonder, what if you don't want to decorate your cube? Right. So they kind of, it's, it's kind of cool. And I'll send you the link for the show notes. Yeah. So I think well, a lot of what we're saying, she's articulated really well. Well, good. I'll definitely include that. Um, so that people can read it. And of course, you know, we'll see what happens. The the downtown project type stuff is continuing to march on. It seems like they're buying more property and um, expanding their footprint. So uh, it will be very interesting to see how it all continues to unfold. So definitely be checking that out. And lastly, um, a question from Eric, who's, who asks about the park. And, you know, he... he uh, was smart to notice that there's a the construction timeline for the park and then a proposed arena are quite different. The park is supposed to open relatively soon, um, whereas the the arena that's proposed has not even been designed yet uh, and will clearly be under construction long after the park opens. So as you're enjoying your lovely Shake Shack burger in the calm, serene park, there will be, you know, 2,000 construction workers banging stuff and <laughs> spraying dust in your face for three years after the fact. <laughs> Which I thought it was very, very good observation. Yes, it will. Yeah. the The beginning of the park's life may be more like a construction site, far longer than it's actually should be. They'll probably put up some, you know, thirty foot w- tall dust walls or something. Not that that's going to truly save anything. And and if they're smart, they'll you know they'll do what every construction site does and have those giant tanker trucks spraying the water all over the place. But you're still going to end up with a little dirt in your samba latte. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So interesting, very good note, very uh, very interesting to see how that's going to work out. Um, we will see. All right, thanks for the follow-up. Appreciate it. You guys feel free to leave comments at VegasGangPodcast.com um, when the show goes up. All right, this week or last week or the last couple weeks, a um, bunch of interesting stuff. Plus, uh, you know, we had a trip to Las Vegas. Both Chuck and I had a trips that corresponded, and um, I think there's some interesting stuff to talk about. So – First off, it's nothing to do with that, is Las Vegas Sands has lost their court case a second time. Um, the, the This is the court case of uh, – is it? I never can pronounce this guy's last name correct. Is it Richard Suwin? I have no idea. Okay. Well, this is the gentleman Good enough. Good that – Yeah. So this gentleman um, has a – had a disagreement with the Las Vegas Sands Company regarding their uh, entree into Macau and basically all of the details that surrounded the licensing and them getting up and ru- up and running there with the with the Sands originally and you know basically that's a long and complicated case but basically it boils down to the fact that he feels like he was owed money and he was promised certain concessions as they were setting these deals up and the company does not agree. Um, they think they owe him nothing. So this has been to trial now twice. Um, the first verdict, I think, was what, like in the third, mid $30 million range or something like that. It was thrown out by, I believe, the Nevada Supreme Court. And um, it, it now has wait, made its way through the trial court again, 
where he um, was awarded an even larger sum this time around. Uh, and we hear that uh, that Las Vegas Sands was going to is going to appeal. So this case will continue. I think it's I think this is interesting on many levels, right? On one level, you know, you, you, it gives us an, some insight into the deal making process that went on to get these ventures set up in China, and this is something where. You know, we don't have much insight other than what comes out through these cases and, and the narrative that's provided by the casino companies themselves. Um, you know, I, I've always imagined that deal making must have been, uh, well, at least I could say it would not be difficult for me to imagine how some of these deals went down. When you're talking about building casinos that make large amounts of money and you're talking about China. It's not difficult for me to imagine hiring all sorts of highly paid consultants to make things happen. Um, so it, it's interesting to get some insight into how some of this might have worked. Uh, the, uh, the other interesting bit, though, is just that Sands, which clearly could afford to pay this if they wanted to, right? This is not a question of money. Um, if they could pay this guy and have this be over with, and I'm sure it's massively draining in terms of just the amount of time it takes, even – with outside counsel doing the case, I mean, it's taking time from executives like Sheldon Adelson and other people on his staff. I mean, that's a real distraction. So they um, are determined not to pay this guy any money. There was a quote in the AP story, basically, I, it may have been secondhand, but sourced to, to Adelson saying, look, he's not going to pay this guy a penny. Like, he just does not want to pay. He feels like he owes this guy nothing. And it's a matter of principle, and he's not going to pay him anything. Um so I, I I watched this unfold, and I uh, I think it's very interesting. I don't know if you guys have been watching this case at all, um, but it seems like this case is just never going to end. Yeah, I agree. You know, there will probably be an appeal or several appeals, and I think probably it is not going to end. It's just amazing. And, of course, you know, Las Vegas <coughs> Sands and Adelson um, have sued other folks in the past. They They have used the courts – to advance their agenda where they've felt like it's appropriate. Um, more so, it seems like, than some of their uh, some of their peers in, in Las Vegas. Um, but yeah, this just continues to go on and on. Um, it's great for people like us because all this, a lot of this stuff ends up in the public record and we get to hear these, these details. It's also entertaining when, you know, you've got former Las Vegas Sands executives on the stand who clearly have no lost love for Sheldon talking about their experiences and um, talking about just how difficult it was to work with him and how that whole uh, and how the whole company was set up and how that went down. So that's, of course, very entertaining for folks like that's us. But yes, the case that will never end is ongoing. Um, all right. So Richard Suin, I'm sorry you're not getting your check this week, um, <laughs> but uh, it's in the mail. Yeah. Uh, all right. I want to switch gears to talk a little bit about personal experiences. Um, so this was the first uh, – I was in Las Vegas the very beginning of May, um, and this was the first time I had been since the quad reopened as, as it has, right? So the construction at the quad, which is conversion from the Imperial Palace, is still on very much ongoing as the Link Project also spools up. But um, – Part of the Quad Casino 
is now open and available for guests to walk through and play and make their way to the check-in desk. Uh, but, you know, this is my first time walking through, and I definitely have some opinions. But, Chuck, you actually wrote about this for Vegas Stripping, and it was interesting because the comments – this is one of those one of those stories where, uh, you know, you, you write something, you think it's uh, uh, going to be some sleepy little piece, and all of a sudden the comments go crazy. Yeah. Uh, people get excited about it for one reason or another. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you wrote and some of, some of the reaction from other folks that uh, wanted to chime in? Well, I I went just like you. I went uh, there to uh, go look at it. I was very curious. I am a longtime fan of the Imperial Palace. Uh, it was for a very, very long period of time. It was my go-to joint. Love tubs, the whole schmear. I've stayed in the parking garage rooms. I've stayed everywhere in that hotel. And I love the place uh, for a long time, and I, including a stay relatively recently, about two or so years ago, which I wrote a uh, surprisingly, some would say surprisingly positive but realistic review about. Um, so I was curious to go check it out and to check out what they've done to the old O'Shea's spot. Uh, apparently that had opened, uh, but I did not know this when I when I walked up. So, um, yeah, when I went inside, I realized that the por- portion that's opening, uh, which is basically O'Shea's and the former rock house and the former uh, square-shaped driveway, is now all sort of casino stuff. Uh, and everything behind it, from the steps down into the casino, all the way back, uh, is closed. It's all still under construction, boarded up, and walled in. Uh, and it, walking around the place, my reaction was uh, uh, that, that I finally understood what it was. And it, it's really, it was a connection from Carnival Court to the link to keep people off the street basically just to pass through this walkway. They've thrown a couple of casino tables here, there, and everywhere. Uh, The layout is a little kind of confusing. It's not uh, conducive to walking uh, in spots, at least through the O'Shea's part. Uh, It's the the walkways, the pathways to a main strip-facing arterial door uh, are way too thin, and they've got way too many casino games in that spot. One person oogling stops all the traffic. But the look of the place... Overall, it has no sense of, of destination. Uh, the, the decor is – I'm hoping that it's not – that it's just not done yet. Like they are not – they haven't put the stuff in yet. But it's, it's, it's incredibly barren, incredibly bare. It looks like maybe a tribal casino you might find in Montana somewhere. It doesn't uh, – and I'm talking specifically about the interior. It just – it does not have a very engaging or positive or – uh, feeling like things are supposed to be there, settled there. It 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 feels very temporary, uh, soulless and placeless in in a lot of kind of ways. And what I what I, the point I tried to make in the piece is that the quad as it is is not necessarily a place a destination where you're going to want to go. It's a place you're going to pass through. You might meet somebody there, but you're probably not going to stay there. And that was. The point I made, and I had a couple other, you know, I made a couple of uh, uh, delicious uh, descriptions of things that I think people took as me being hateful. Um, and it caused a massive uproar. People were saying, I hate Vegas, and uh, I'm an asshole, and I 
you name it, all the other things that go with it. But we, I think we patched it all up when it kindly came down to the end. Uh, we all sort of agreed to disagree and, and move on with our lives. But, but I, I did not have a, a positive experience. Um, of course, now I, I didn't write this as a review. It was purely just some observations, a walk through the quad. Uh, we'll reserve the proper review till the casino floor gets done in the hotel, and we'll go in there and do that stuff and be a little more uh, judgmental, <laughs> shall I say. But uh, my, just my basic experience, my basic feeling, my gut feeling is that it's it's uh, it's not right, man. I, 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 don't, I don't really like it. It's just a place you just walk through. You don't really want to hang out there. Yeah. Uh, so I walked through too. I guess, Dave, I should ask, have you been through the quad since the, they've opened the parts that they've opened? I've not been inside, no. Okay. Um, it's interesting. And Chuck, you noted this in your piece, the way that they're directing people through. Um, basically, this little tiny side door that is half covered in scaffolding is functioning as the prime entrance um, from the south side of the building right off where the link construction is underway. So right on that corridor um, – from the Flamingo where O'Shea's was, there's now this little tiny door. Um, and the uh, the covered walkway that they had been using to direct traffic in front of the former Imperial Palace during the construction period seems to be closed. I don't know if it's closed all the time, um, but it was closed definitely all the time that I was there. It appeared to be barricaded. Yeah, so it's interesting to see the way that they have um, directed the traffic through this tiny little conduit uh, that um, – you know, was definitely bunching folks up at some time. So it it's clearly not an optimal temporary situation at the moment. And I, you know, I was I had seen photos of the quad, the parts that were open, but I what I did not get a sense of from those photos um, was two things: one, just how little of it is open right now. Um, there's it's not a lot of space. I mean, you can walk around the entire thing in five minutes. Um, so the stuff that they've done so far is, is the stuff that's open is, is a very, very small amount of what they're going to do. Um, mm -hmm. but also sort of the relative positions of things. And I don't know if this is just me, but until I walked through it, I had not correctly pieced together in my mind how the photos I had seen mapped to the real geography of the place and how everything was connected. And now having walked through, it's, it's even more obvious to feel how the flow of people are going to work through Link and the other surrounding resorts. It's very, it's very clear to see these pathways that they're sculpting um, out of the desert floor there with <laughs> moving people through. Um, very interesting. I mean, you know, the, the design, the decor is very, like, generic Casino 101. Um, it is clean. I'll give them points for clean. The Imperial Palace was not always known for being very super clean. Uh, and there are, you know, the, the spaces are a little bit wider and more open than they were. But it's it'll be interesting to see once the full casino is unveiled, um, if it's a continuation of what we've got so far and it's just a larger space or whether it's going to have a little bit more personality to it. Because the Imperial Palace definitely, you know, I, I um, did not have as much experience hanging out there as you have mentioned you had, but... It definitely had personality for better or worse, right? I mean, it was yeah. I iconic, and um, you know, a lot of people didn't really think it was that great, or it would make it made fun of often. Right. But it was it, it was not short on personality, yep. which you know can't save a place if everything else about it is bad. But uh, it, it, it 
personality in and of itself is worth something. So I, I don't know. I hope they in, I hope they imbibe a little bit more um, a little bit more personality into the place, inject a little bit person more personality into the place before it's finished as well. Um, but it's very interesting to see how it's how it's coming together for sure. Definitely more personality, less Hitler. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's all I got to say. That's a good, a good general rule, I think. <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah. Usually less Hitler, I find, in my casino resorts is usually a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. For those that are not aware of the Hitler connection, um, is that in your book, Dave? No, ah. that, didn't, that did not make it in the book. I should do a book all about weird, scandalous things about Vegas casinos. Yeah. That would be a good one. Yes. Well, uh, definitely less Hitler is always a good thing. I definitely agree with you. Um, uh, we're going to zoom back to uh, to um, Link in a, in a minute because I uh, participated in or watched a panel that Dave, that you moderated that talked a lot about Link that I thought was interesting. And I definitely want to share some of the things that I learned because I think some of that stuff has not been made public elsewhere. Nothing earth shattering, but some interesting details. But before we do that, I want to talk about the other casino that I know both of us spent more time in on this last trip, which was the D. Uh, and of course, the D is our host hotel for Vimpf. Um, and so we decided to go hang out there one night and just and uh, spend some time in there. I, of course, had been in a few times since it's converted over, um, but I hadn't spent a ton of time there. And um, I still haven't stayed there, so I don't know what the what the room product is like. But uh, it was fun to go hang out there. We spent some time both at the long bar, which is the bar downstairs, and um, also upstairs, which is you know some of the uh, more classic slot machines, like the Sigma Derby machine is up there, and um, <clears throat> some older coin out slots, which are harder to find in, in town these days. But it was fun. Um, I was impressed by how busy it was, and I don't know if if it's like that every night. Um, but this was midweek, and um, it was very crowded. Now, Fremont in general was very crowded, but it was uh, a big party crowd having a good time. Place seems to uh, you know it's been open what six months now in its current incarnation, seven months something like that, and uh, it's still uh, <clears throat> hanging together. So it's not thankfully it's not. Uh, it's not wearing down and falling apart after just a few months. I thought it. I thought it would seem like it was a good time. I didn't spend enough time there to like give it any kind of thorough review, um, but uh, I had a good time in the time that I did spend there. The the folks, all of the people that I interacted with were were friendly and nice, and um, I don't know. It made me feel really good about uh, our our decision for the Vimp Hotel because it just seemed like uh, it was confirming. A lot of what other people have said, and, and as far as when they've stayed there since the the changeover, we had a lot of discussion about the D when it f- the first bunch of details were announced. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I know I was a little skeptical about a few of the things. Me too. Uh, specifically, the vintage casino thing. To me, it's like. I got the impression uh, we've got some old beat ups, some of Don Barden's old beat up <laughs> slot machines up in the up in the attic, and uh, let's just haul that crap out and uh, see if we can uh, squeeze a couple last silver dollars out of these things. And I was a little skeptical uh, when I went up there. I was pleasantly surprised. It was filled with, and my wife went bananas too. It was filled with. 
banks and banks and banks of her favorite slot machine, which is the wild cherry machine. She loves it. The reels with the quarters and all this stuff. It's like her game. So she walked into the Garden of Eden and they're harder and harder to find everywhere else. So she was incredibly excited and the Sigma Derby machine was packed. All these kooky old, uh, really, really vintage um well, vintage compared to the strip, but if you go to uh, Main Street Station, they're all still in use with these old Kino machines and old teeny-weeny little video poker machines with screen burn-in and all that other stuff. But it was kind of cute and kind of fun and really cool. I, I enjoyed it up there. It was like a little bit of a respite, but you could still gamble and get a drink easily at the bar. Uh, I, I was proven wrong, and I'm happy to admit that. Uh, the vintage casino thing upstairs is is pretty fantastic. I, I really kind of dug it. Uh, the entirety of the D, I, I, I was even more impressed this time when I went there. The place was packed. It was it was not you couldn't move not you could move around fine, but the the craps tables, both of them, were filled with people hooting and hollering, screaming and yelling. The table games people were playing and screaming and talking to each other, and everybody was having a good time. And it, it, the the vibe was just really fantastic. I'm, I was uh, I was very happy to see that happening there. You know, it was like intimate and fun, and it was like a public fun. People were having fun and interacting with other people having fun, strangers, which is like intimate and kind of fun and not something you see when you're walking through that cavern like like Mandalay Bay, which, you know, mm. the slots are like – slot islands are like 15 yards away from each other and it's like you're sort of isolated in this massive casino. It's the opposite of that. And, and I and, – I think Derek's done a great job of creating community with his employees, which you can tell by the way he interacts with them on social media and whatnot. And the tone of the people and the feel of the people who are there who are working, it's like, no nonsense. Let's all have a good time. And, and it's, it's, to me, it's really refreshing. I couldn't be any more happier that we're having the D there. And I did not get paid to say this. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that we're going to be criticized for shilling for the D um, but you know, whatever. Uh, one, I will say one thing. Um, it was a little loud for me, for my taste downstairs with the music. Like it's loud. Like yeah. if you want to talk to somebody else, that's probably not happening. It's pretty, yeah. pretty loud downstairs. So if, if I you felt that way outside, actually on Fremont street, I couldn't talk to you guys. Yeah. Cause all there was was just music in every direction. Yeah. It was like a Charles Ives piece. If anybody gets that <laughs> reference, there was four bands playing simultaneously. <laughs> and if you stand right exactly in the middle of it, it sounds like cacophony, you know? Well, but, we, we found upstairs, you know, uh, along with Dr. Dave and his charming wife, we did find a nice little spot to, uh, to sit down and, and, and have a conversation. So there are places that you can seek out, but I think, uh, in the evenings on the casino floor and out on out on the street, it is it is pretty loud. And if you and if you're uh, rolling the dice and and hitting your hard ways, I'm sure that that's a lot of fun. Yeah. So to each his own. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a good time, Dave. I know you joined us down there. I I'm sure you've been down there at least you know before this, right? You were, oh yeah, yeah. Um. So you know nothing. None of this is probably a revelation to you. Uh, but if, anything you want to add about the D uh, and your experience? 
Yeah, I think downtown in general, they always, there's always a lot of people down there. It always feels like really good energy, really high. Well, I don't know, good energy, but high energy, lots of energy. You know, the thing is, when you look at the revenue numbers, though, it's just not coming through the way it once was. So you've got a ton of people down there. You know, obviously, we could see them gambling at the D. I don't know how much they're gambling in all the other places, though, because it's definitely, you know, there's just not a lot of growth down there. Yeah, so it's that's interesting. A good point. It's all relative because then you go to places where it's totally dead, but they've got four or five whales coming over from Hong Kong and right. blowing a couple million. So right. it doesn't matter that there's nobody out in the casino floor. Right. So it's it's just interesting. And I, I do think that the focus on more of the fun and the community stuff is going to be a big deal because it just seems so so much clearer to me as time goes on that people sitting in front of slot machines is not the future of gambling. And right. you need to give them something else. And this gives people uh, something else to do to come to Vegas, which is to have fun with each other and uh, also gamble. Yeah. Right on. Well, uh, yeah, I had a good time down there. And I'm looking forward to uh, spending some more time down there as well. So I want, I'm curious if I can just interject yeah. real quickly. Sure, of course. Um, we had talked about this a little bit uh, when we were at the View Bar. Um, assuming the D becomes a hit. Maybe it already is. Who knows? Where does Derek take it from here? Right. Very good question. And I've got to tell you, I was just asked the same question for a piece that's going to run in the business press. And my answer is that I'm not sure that this is scalable to the strip. You know, you could have a downtown casino where you could have a beer with the owner of the casino at the bar which I think is going to do so much more to create player loyalty than anything you could do with the, with the players club. Because you're telling me, you know, if you can say I went to Vegas and the owner of that casino bought me a beer, there's no way you're not going to come back there and gamble. If you're a gambler, right. you know, as opposed to, huh, well, this place is offering me $10 more in, in free play this month. So I'm going to go there instead of another place. that's more convenient. You know, I just, I, I think, He's got the right ideas here. I don't. Maybe you could scale that to the strip somehow. It'd be cool if you could. I'd like to see somebody try. Right. I mean, there's a lot of speculation that the Riviera might be a contender, given you know investments made in the past and whatever. Um, I, I think, I don't know. I, with no special insight into this, I guess I would say that seems like a tough hand to play. Um, and maybe those, maybe things will change with um, SLS improving that neighborhood. Who knows? But the Riviera, I think, is still unless the numbers were so in new buyers' favor that they had a lot of runway to try stuff and do things. I think it would be very, very tough to to make that work. Um, and I guess you know, you know. Uh, well, there's nothing wrong with um, solidifying your position downtown either. I mean, yes, yeah. the market there is is not what a, what people would say exceedingly healthy, but um, that doesn't mean that uh, there's not some benefit in working to increase market share, steal some more market share from the Golden Nugget and whoever else, and uh, and trying to make some money that way. Well, the other impact I think this could have on the Strip is maybe making the executives less anonymous. So yeah, you're not going to have the owner of MGM Resorts buy you a beer unless there's a representative of whatever institutional investor 
has is the majority owner besides Tracinda. But, you know, you could have the property president do that. They're out there. You know, I know these people are out there. You know, I know Tom McCartney's out there in the Cosmopolitan walking around uh, yeah. at night when the place is open. So he's there. I think it's just, you know, do you let these people become public personas? And I think the reason why most casino companies don't want to do that is because then you run the risk of people leaving when that person leaves and following them to the next place. But, you know, I think you've, you've got to roll the dice in it and just let people, let the properties have more of a personality. Well, it's funny, Dave, you are perfectly segueing into <laughs> something else I wanted to talk about. And so I'll, we'll move the RD&E stuff down the line a little bit. And I want something else that I wanted to talk about on the show today, which is this idea of personality and how much, what, how such a powerful force it is um, when it comes to associating yourself with brands and other things that you might, you know, want to spend your time and money on, right? So if you look at the most successful, at least in terms of mindshare, you know, Las Vegas casino developer, Steve Wynn, right? Everybody associates his hotels, even the hotels he doesn't currently have financial interest in or run anymore as Steve Wynn hotels. And he's really built this like personal I hate the word brand, but he's really built this whole personal brand around himself, right? People expect a certain quality out of a Steve Wynn property, and it's, you know, rightfully so. It's hard. It's a very hard-won reputation. Um, but I, I think people have asked, as we've been rolling out this VIMP stuff, or the VIMP stuff and talking about the D, you know, saying, citing what you referenced, Chuck, is saying, yeah, you know, when the idea was first announced, you guys were kind of sour on it, and you can go back and listen to that episode and it's true. I think we all, at least I was skeptical about how some of this stuff would work. And so I've been asking myself, like, what won me over? Why Why has my attitude changed? And it's really is Derek that has done it. Um, you know, the guy uh, has proven to be one of these guys that you can just relate to. And the fact that I, I don't associate the, the place with a nameless, faceless corporation, I associate it with him. It seems like it's personified through him, and he's a person that you can walk up to and talk to, and he's friendly and will say, how are you doing? If there's a problem, he'll you know, presumably try and help you fix it. Um, and that's such a powerful thing, right? And that's why I think you look at the design departments of these various hotels. Name one top casino designer. The first person that everyone's going to name is going to be Roger Thomas, right? And it's not just because... He does incredible work, which he does, but they, the company has put him out there as they've decided the design is important and they're going to tell that story through him, which is super powerful. Like you can't name the top designer at Caesars or MGM, even though they're responsible for more square footage and are doing huge multi-million dollar uh, renovations all the time. But David we, Rockwell. Well, so <laughs> hiring outside designers, right? But you, I think you get my point. Yes, this personification of some of these jobs has has powerful. It has such a has such can have such a strong impact, uh, and the big casino quote companies are like the classic opposite counter the counter example, right? I mean, the MGMs and the Caesars of the world. The people that we think of are the Lovemans and Murrins who are, you know, not what I would call casino guys. They're in and out. They're accountants, right? They're in, they're Fortune five hundred managers. They're in an office someplace and, you know, their performance, you can argue on any specific quarter whether it was up to snuff or not. But they're not the guy that's going to buy you a beer at the end of the bar or the guy who um, you might see, you know, gambling at a craps table down the street at his, you know, neighbor's joint, 
right? They, they're, you're never going to see them outside of their office or, you know, coaching their kids' soccer game. Nothing wrong with soccer games, but uh, I just think it's a very interesting to see how, how powerfully some of these places have used that idea of personifying their, uh, their executives. Um, and the ones that have taken that chance have, I think, done really well with it. I, I'm trying to think of an example of a company that, that did that and failed or where it backfired on them. And I can't think of one and maybe someone will come up with one, but even the folks from, you know, decades past, right. I mean, the stupacks of the world, it, it, the guy was a crazy loon, but he was known, you know, people knew those places because of who he was. Right. It's just, I think it's a very interesting, uh, concept that, um, that Derek seems to be playing, playing well. And I don't know if it's intentional or what, but it, it does seem to be working. Well, they, you know, the Tropicana tried to put Alex Yemenigian out there, right? That's a good as, example. As, as as a person with his the suits and and all that stuff, but he is a person. Do you ever see him at the bar? I've never seen him in person. Not that I spend a hell of a lot of time hanging out at the Tropicana, but you know, he'll show up and talk in the video and do all that kind of stuff. But is he really out there interacting with guests on a social and a social media level, a next level kind of? Uh, uh, interaction? No. Now, John Unwin, at first, he was very social media active and seemed to be out and about all the time, but that's sort of withdrawn a bit over the last few years, He or over the last year or so. So it could be that they pulled the plug on him. Who knows? I, I wonder, I mean, Dave, you talk about property presidents, right? I mean, you're, it's unlikely that you're going to get Murren out there doing this kind of thing. And even then, it's not, you know, they've got so many properties, it's not really practical. But what what about property presidents? I mean, maybe some of them just don't want to do this kind of thing, and they and they're you know different people are just not attuned to it. And that, that's fine. But uh, you know, you got to think that some of these some of these guys and gals might want to engage customers like this. And it, as far as I can tell, it's not something that's really promoted or been tried as an overt strategy. We've seen a little bit of it. I think the most successful example in a big company I can think of is the president of the Monte Carlo, Anton Nicodemus, who was on Twitter as Monte Carlo Prez and was really doing good at it. And he is now the president and COO of of MGM Resorts' casino marketing division. So he's got a bigger responsibility now. But I think that's really good because when he was on Twitter back in – 2012 really promoting the property you know he was getting out there as a president and you could i think that really had a big impact so i'd like to see more places do that you know and the the thing is the anybody who gets to be the president of a casino number one has got to be pretty competent number two has some interesting stories to tell and is probably a very interesting person even if you got to know him so i think it would do well for them to push them out there because otherwise they just think of everybody as kind of faceless drones and that's not who these people are a lot of them have been in vegas for a long time and have done really cool stuff the difference though dave for me is property present means that they got hired to do the job whereas a guy like Wynn or derek or uh, maybe roger you know they're there because they care you know they're there because they're actually thoroughly responsible and I and I feel a difference towards that. True, but the property people are there. You know, they're the ones who are really nurturing the property week in and week out. They're, you know, I think they've just got a, a really good handle of what's going on. And 
Yeah, if each property had their own sort of impresario Steve Wynn type person, that that would be great. But I think with the corporations dominating so much, that's the closest we're going to get to coming anywhere near that. Well, and I also, I, you know, not all property presidents are created equal, right? Some yeah. of these, some of these folks are there because they can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, look at a like a Tim Poster, right? Clearly, that guy made a ton of money in internet business and then decides to go work at Wynn because the guy just loves casinos, right? He doesn't care about the money. He's just there because he loves that electric feeling of walking through that casino at night and how much fun it is. Um, so, and, and then I'm sure that there are, you know, Murrins in training at some other properties too who, who are not interested in that stuff. They see it as a, you know, a large business just like any other, uh, and they're moving up the ranks. So there's, you know, there's going to be different molds that these people are cast in for sure. I don't know. I, I think just the idea of the, this idea of personalizing things in general, um, I, it's, it seems like a, a winner to me. I wish, uh, I wish more of these places would, would try to do it even well, in the, big scale. The SLS is opening. <laughs> well, I want to talk about that, that a little bit later, but and if I could, if I can jump in with one more thing, this really ties into so much that's going on in popular culture with the rise of reality TV and, you know, shows like Project Runway and Kitchen Nightmares and all the other chef shows and challenge shows, where you get a feel for what goes on, what used to be behind closed doors. You know, that's now become a public thing, and people know what the design process is, and they know what the creative process is, and I think people are hungry for that. And if they could identify with something like that. When they go to Vegas, I think they gladly would. Yeah. America's next top pit boss. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, I don't know. I think it's a topic that's fascinating, and uh, I wish um, I wish we'd seen more of it. And who knows? Maybe we will. If it, it, one, one thing you can count on the casino industry to do is if something works, it will be replicated elsewhere. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. I want to talk about RD&E, which is a uh, little conference that took place in early May in Las Vegas that, Dave, you um, did a little of moderation for, and I'll have you talk about some of your panels from your perspective in a minute, uh, put on by uh, Roger Gross, who is actually a guest on this show not too long ago, if you go back into the archives. Great guy. Um, it's a conference that focuses on... Um, hopefully I'm going to get this right, retail, dining, and entertainment type aspects of uh, developing your casino property and related marketing, etc. Um, for folks in the casino business and sort of related businesses. Uh, there was a couple days of panels and keynotes, and um, there were at least two sessions that I wanted to talk about from, from my perspective uh, and relay a little bit of information. And the first one actually was moderated by Dave, and it was a session on Link. And Dave, since you were up at the desk, up at the podium, feel free to jump in at any time sure. and correct me if I've got something wrong or you want to add anything. But I took a bunch of notes. There were three gentlemen from Caesars Entertainment there, um, corporate executives, plus also the gentleman that's going to be uh, sort of running the link for Caesars, talking about some of the details and the specifics about the project that I thought were interesting. So I'm just going to – I have some notes here that I'm just going to sort of uh, uh, blaze through and and rattle off, and we can talk a little bit about what some of these things mean. Because I, I always like the story behind the, behind the development kind of stuff. So relay some of what I took down. Um, one of the things they talked about was – the fact that the project was not a what they called a lightning bolt idea. It wasn't like uh, something that 
came out fully formed, that one person just came up with a genius concept one day. They went through a ton of market research and considered basically every single possible use for the land that is being used for Link and some of the other land that they're potentially going to expand into in the future back there. Um, every Ever since the the Harris Caesars merger, they, uh, they were thinking about what they were going to do. And they, they said they literally talked about everything from water parks to zoos to everything. Um, they really were looking at all these different options. So they, they spent a lot of time trying to figure out what they wanted to do. Um, one of the quotes I took down, which I thought was interesting was they, they, they were talking about spending in Las Vegas and of course how the recession, its impact on the amount of money people were spending and how things are changing. And the, one of the quotes from the Caesars guys was the spend is back. It's just spread out, which I think, which I thought was interesting, just the way it reflects the, uh, the changing nature of the business. Right. And we've talked about that a lot on this show when it comes to nightclubs versus traditional entertainment and gambling and how the dynamics of the casino business are changing, but they're definitely seeing that in their own, in their own numbers. Um, they talked a little bit about the tenants and some of the buildings, the the developments, uh, physical features. One of the things that I I had not been I wasn't aware of, and maybe it was already out there, but I'd missed it. It's, people may have seen um, at Coachella last year. There was a Tupac hologram that had been done by this company, where they resurrected Tupac and had a rapping hologram on stage. And apparently, there's going to be a, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame outpost at link which is going to have similar technology for um other musicians so who knows you may be able to go in and you know watch uh kurt cobain sing you songs uh as you uh sit outside the yard house which i thought was interesting um but it's like it's like dealerless entertainment yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I think it's I think it's kind of an interesting thing, right? It's one of those things where you hear that and it's impossible to know if it will be awesome or terrible. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's I don't know. I, I think it's it's curious and interesting. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but we shall see. Um, they talked about uh, I'm a sort of a, a lighting nerd. They talked about all the lights on the outside of the building and how they're going to be fully programmable, so they can come up with these elaborate lighting scenes. So all of that. That crazy weird shaped thing out in front where O'Shea's used to be that's got lights all underneath it is, is going to be programmable and they can create little custom mini light shows on it if they want to, which I thought was kind of interesting. The Fremont Dome. Yes, exactly. Uh, let's see. I'm just spitting through here real fast. Um, they, it was interesting. They talked about the impact of total rewards on Link, and they, they were not – totally forthcoming as far as what they meant in this case, but they're definitely, it sounds like they're definitely talking about uh, integrating Link with smartphone experience, so there may be some aspects of the Link project that, they're, you know, I'm assuming there'll probably be some kind of companion app that goes along with it that lets you take advantage of some of the stuff that uh, would be unlocked as part of that, which I thought was an interesting idea. I'm a, you know, we've talked about technology as it relates to the casinos for many, many times, and how it uh, it definitely seems like they need to do more of this kind of stuff to really stay ahead of where everything's going. So I'll I'll be curious if they do some amazing new technological breakthrough or whether it's just sort of more of the same, the lame kind of apps we've seen from the casinos in the past. Uh, let's see. Other than that, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting was um, they're talking about security. And I hadn't even really thought about this, but, you know, they have to have for the high roller, the 
the Ferris wheel thing, they have to have real security for this place, right? Uh, heaven forbid it would be some kind of a, a terrorist target. And so, you know, they talked a little bit about this, the security prep that they're going to do for that. And it sounds like they've definitely got it figured out. But I, it was just one of those, it was one of those moments where they described something and I realized I hadn't even considered that as, uh, as one of the design constraints that they had to work around, which is definitely something they got to worry about these days. Um, and they also talked about sort of the crowd planning, which was, you know, if you look, if you stand on Las Vegas Boulevard and look down the Link construction site, my, for one of my first impressions was that it seemed fairly tight at certain places. And you imagine the number of people that are going to be walking down there, um, on a summer afternoon. And, uh, there seemed like there were some choke points, but they, they addressed that directly and said that they definitely, um, had, uh, had been thinking about it. Uh, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if they've pulled that off. Um, they also talked directly about, uh, dealing with the heat. You know, they're, they're building an outdoor, um, sort of public space in an area where, you know, temperatures over a hundred degrees in the summer is pretty normal. So it'll be interesting to see if people flee to indoors during the <laughs> summer or whether it, it does actually work. If the place is deserted in August, we'll know that, uh, that they may have to make some tweaks. Um, Let's see. I don't know. I've got some more notes here, but uh, oh, I guess the only other one, the only other thing I wanted to touch on really fast before Dave, I'll let you jump in if you've got your own thoughts. Was um, I asked? I actually got to ask a couple of questions, and I asked them about City Center and how the slow start at City Center impacted their planning, and what their thought was about the park uh, since it was announced so soon after. Um, you know, Link's been underway here. And they talked about City Center, and they, they said, you know, the impression that I got was they, they are confident in their approach given what happened with City Center. I think they're pretty confident that they were right not to build more hotel rooms and more casino space. Um, it seems like they're pretty happy with what they landed on here with, uh, with Link. And as far as the park goes, they, they referred to it as a cousin to Link, which I, it was <laughs> like I thought they were being very charitable um, in there, they were very, uh, you know, very, um, clear not to put down their, their competitors, but, uh, it, it's clearly, they, um, have been paying attention to what MGM's doing down the street. So anyway, it was a very interesting session, Dave. So I guess I should take this opportunity to, um, you know, congratulate you for doing a great job, but also I want to ask you if you had any thoughts. I mean, you, you, uh, you got to listen to all that stuff as well. Yeah, it's good. When I was moderating, I really tried to get beyond just the press release type stuff and get them really thinking and talking about the, the, the project, uh, especially because it was mostly interest, industry people there. I wanted to get them talking ways that would make sense to people who were running casinos in other parts of the countries and huh, why did you do this? So that's why I asked them the question about why the high roller. I don't think I've heard anybody ask that question, you know, and it is kind of an odd choice so you wonder why is it and it turns out they had a pretty good reason because they did a lot of study i think the other interesting thing is this really shows the company's approach to stuff which is the opposite of inspiration which is just kind of get on top of something and just analyze it and analyze it and analyze it and then make your decision to move forward which i've got to think is going to be a strength and a weakness because it pretty much means once you've committed to that path you can't really change too quickly so that hasn't you definitely didn't help them with the LBO and that process and leaving them with all that debt. You know, hopefully conditions stay stable enough that they don't change that 
it totally blows all their assumptions about Link out of the water. But clearly they've done a lot of thinking about this. Yeah, you know, it's interesting uh, not to, to sort of tie back into that question of personification. It's like hearing these guys talk about the project, uh, my impression of the Link, I think, changed at least somewhat. You know, these were clearly three really smart people that were directly involved with the project. And uh, it, it's a lot harder to have a what, what were they thinking kind of reaction when you can see that these are reasonable people that have actually given this a lot of thought um, as they're explaining their decisions. I mean, maybe you disagree with some of the things they decide to do, but it, it's clearly um, well-considered, and they've definitely spent, as you said, a lot of time thinking about all the angles here. And will it play out? I have no idea. But um, they, they've definitely – this is not a fly-by-night operation. Uh, it's, it's definitely been planned down to every last little detail. I don't know. I thought it was very – it was a really interesting session. I really got a lot out of it, so I thought it was, it was great. Um, it, <laughs> Roger was funny. Roger asked a question about O'Shea's, and he, he said – I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember his exact wording, but he said there seems to be a lot of – Newfound interest in O'Shea's, all these people that never seemed to go there before all of a sudden really want it to come back. So I think he, I think he maybe thought it was a little bit funny how O'Shea's was suddenly beloved after being like the armpit of the mid-strip for so long. There is a certain class of people that love O'Shea's, and I am one of them. I just thought it was very – it was funny the way he was phrased. I mean it's like all, all of a sudden it's an, a national monument that cannot be destroyed. <laughs> um, all right, so the, there's two other things I wanted to talk about with regarding uh, RD&E, and one um, one I did not attend, Dave, which was your hotel within a hotel session. And I, since I wasn't there, I don't know if there's anything newsworthy or worth discussing, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to throw anything out there in case you had anything. Yeah, it's going to tie into your next topic because one of the people on it was Rob Osland, who's the COO, I think of SLS, who was extremely (laughs) 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 who was extremely articulate and well-reasoned and came off very well and came across as the kind of guy who I would want running my casino hotel project. So we'll see the significance of that comment in a couple minutes as we talk about another session that Hunter was at, but uh, basically it was him, a guy from the Mark Hellrung, who is the GM of Four Seasons Las Vegas, and an architect talking about how you design these brands within brands and these kind of sub-brands within the bigger casino brand. Kind of the most, the dumbest question, but the question I want to ask the most is, I talked to the guy from Four Seasons who'd been with the company for about 20 years about how they set it up. And he wasn't the GM when they when they opened in 1999, but he's been with the company for so long he knows how they worked. And apparently there was a lot of different negotiations going on at the time, and it was never really guaranteed that they would open up within Mandalay Bay. And I said, well, huh, could you have done a Four Seasons as a standalone casino resort with 3,000 rooms? And he just said, absolutely not. Never would have worked. Yeah. Not a work. So it's kind of interesting. Also, at the same time, I asked um, Rob, who was with Wynn at the time, well, right. did you ever think about having Four Seasons brand instead of Tower Suites at Wynn or Encore? He said, well, that actually was something they kind of discussed back in the Bellagio 
back when that opened, but they made the decision to go ahead and create their own brand of luxury and not bring in somebody else. So it's really interesting. And he, you know, whenever things got a little bit bogged down, I could just kind of go to Rob and say, huh, so talk to me a little bit about your experience with Wynn and how that informs whatever we're talking about. And he'd have something really interesting. So, you know, that's a guy who's really seen casino development in the strip from a great vantage point for some of its most interesting years. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I've only met that guy, I think, once or twice, but I ended up on a tour with him during the Encore opening process. And so got to hear him describe the property in pretty significant detail. And it's clear that uh, he's got a lot of interesting experience. Plus, of course, we was with Wynn for so long that I'm sure he's got a lot of crazy stories. <laughs> um, all right. So the other session that you uh, that you alluded to there was a lunchtime session with Sam Nazarian, the king of the uh, SBE SLS Enterprise Consortium Incorporated Limited. And um, so this was like a traditional lunch keynote type setup where the attendees are in a ballroom having lunch. Roger Gross, the um, guy that's running RD&E, was... Uh, was asking questions, and then there was some Q&A at the end for Mr. Nazarian. And um, I love Q&A. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I was going to ask a question, but Roger basically asked exactly what I was going to ask. So I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But, um, you know, so this, this started with about a half an hour of Roger's questions to Sam, to him talking about where he came from and uh, what he's planning to do at SLS. Uh, I, I don't think there was any real breaking news. I mean, he talked a little bit about um, what they plan to do with poker room and sports book and some of these lesser casino functions that they haven't really talked about before, but uh, nothing really too interesting. Um, but I guess, Dave, you know, what I, what I really wanted to get a sense of was what is Sam Nazarian like to sit in a room and listen to him talk, right? Is he a, what is he like as a storyteller? Um, is my, you know, I've been pretty skeptical of the idea uh, since it started. And I was just wondering, you know, after sitting in this session, would my opinion change? Would I feel like I've, I'm really filling in something that I'd missed? Uh, I guess, Dave, as you were sitting there, you know, I don't know if you've seen him speak before or interviewed him or had any other experience with him, but, you know, what was your impression of the way that the keynote went and, um, and did it change your opinion of the SLS project at all? Well, it changed my opinion of him. You know, I've never seen him speak before. I've heard that he's on some reality TV show. Is that true or not true? I yes. wasn't on the hills. Something. Yes. Yeah. On the hills. So I guess people, I guess he's got a persona or something, but I found him to be absolutely unengaging and just complete. He was mumbling. It, you know, it was basically just like kind of eavesdropping on somebody at their coffee break, sitting there rambling on about stuff, was, I just thought, horrible. And I couldn't imagine anybody who wanted to be the CEO of a company who wanted to go out there on a roadshow and get money from people having public speaking skills this atrophied. Yeah. It, it was just, it was mind, I, I just... Still, I'm still just amazed, especially when you, you know, the day before his lunch keynote was Tom Breitling, who 
had his own promo reel before the before he started talking, but was very smooth, very slick, very well spoken, very articulate. So, you know, my God, like I could see if somebody was, if I was a legislator and I was holding pan, a panel on online gaming, should they allow it? And Tom got up there and did his whole presentation. I could say, yeah, I would. This guy seems legitimate. I, you know, I would. I think we should allow this. Whereas, if I was an investor, you know, even if I was an investor trying to decide who to give money to, I would totally give it to Tom because the other guy was just so. Uh, I don't even know what word it is. Sam just, has something Tom doesn't have, though, which is a he has green cards to hand out. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But it, yeah, I, I, I just don't get it. I. I really don't get it, and I know Rob, you know, articulately was, uh, ironically was was everything that Sam was not. So I don't know why you wouldn't want to put Rob out there yeah. in public and to talk to people, especially in the industry, because he and from the people at our table and some other people I talked to afterwards, he did not make a good impression. Yeah, and if they fail, there will be a lot of people that are very happy that they fail. I don't disagree with you. I, I was not impressed with him as a public speaker. Um, you know, he maybe had one or two little jokes that made me chuckle. Uh, he, apparently, um, when he bought the Sahara, uh, Kerkorian called, and apparently Kerkorian assumed with his last name that he was Armenian. I guess Nazarian didn't have the heart to tell him that, no, he was not actually Armenian. There was a couple of char- semi-charming anecdotes, but generally speaking, I agree with you. Um, it was not a compelling... Uh, presentation. One of the questions that I wanted to ask that, that was basically covered in the session before they got to me was this question of the the Cosmopolitan. And so the Cosmopolitan opened in a you know very good location with a lot of a fair amount of capital behind it, and they um, you know decided to go all in and open the place and really try and make a go of it. And since then, you know. Most recent casino results notwithstanding, they have done pretty poorly when it comes to, you know, making money. And, uh, you know, the, the obvious question to me is, given that I feel like SLS's business model is very similar to the Cosmopolitan in terms of, like, we're going to try and sell you swanky rooms and dining experiences and clubs and maybe care less about the casino customer – if it hasn't worked for Cosmopolitan, which has all these other things going for it, how can it possibly work for SLS given the bad location and um, all this other stuff? And he didn't really have a great answer to that question. Like He kind of skated around it quite a bit, I felt, when uh, when he got asked that same question. Basically, I mean, I think he basically said that he didn't think the Cosmopolitan folks had marketed themselves very well. And uh, he also was talking about how he was going to have some great database of players that he could draw off of. But he didn't really have a great answer to that. And I th- still really feel like that's a defining question for their prospects. If their business model is the same as this other company that has more resources and a better facility, and it's failed for the other company, why would it work for him? Hunter, well, the other th- Hunter, the, I'm sorry, Hunter, the net net is that, <laughs> that, that uh, uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't operate the Sahara as a grind joint. Yeah, yeah. Net, net. They, ha- they had to close it. Yeah. They had to close it because it wasn't making money. They couldn't get the Sahara already operating, already with a Rolodex. They couldn't operate it. Right. So that's the net net. Yeah. It's, Chuck is alluding to one of the things 
it, it seems like Nazarian's favorite phrase is net net. He used that <laughs> as the uh, as the intro or outro to many of his answers. But Dave, uh, you were going to say. I've totally forgotten now. Oh, yeah, wait, I've remembered. Okay. The other thing that bothers me is that part, like, he believes that the silver bullet is that they're also going to appeal to the Las Vegas locals. Right. Demographic, which I think is horrible. Everybody in the North Strip is trying to do that now. And so let's break this down. If I'm a Las Vegas local, if I'm living in Summerlin or Henderson, do I want to drive all the way to go down to SLS to hang out with the LA people? Yeah, maybe to eat at a couple unique restaurant concepts. Once. But do I really want to do that, or do I want to play at Red Rock or Green Valley or whatever else is close to me or the M, where I'm probably going to get a better deal, better deal with the loyalty program, and I'm probably going to have a more a dining experience with more value. It's just, I, I don't see locals flocking down to drive to the North Strip to gamble. And you're not going to get a DUI. Exactly. And you're not, not going to get a free toaster. Yeah. You know, so everybody, LVH is talking the same thing. Well, we're going to penetrate the Las Vegas locals market. Hard Rock is saying the same thing. Palms, obviously, George was successful at doing it for a long time. But they don't see that, yeah, if you want to break into that, you've got to go up against first... Boyd and the Coast Casinos, and then Station, and then you know in Henderson you've also got M scooping up a lot of other people, so it's very competitive. And I don't know that it's a huge margin business because it's so competitive. So to stake a lot of your success in that to me is not really a good plan. Yeah, it seems like it's a tough nut to crack, and if that is the what they're relying on, it it may be a disaster. Because, you know, I know there's no way I would see myself driving down to a strip casino to have dinner just because. Whereas I could see going to one of the station's properties or the M. Yeah. So just – and that, you know, obviously I'm not the typical local gambling customer because I don't gamble a ton. But that's got to count for something. Also, there's a lot more – I think – with the amount of money that Station has invested in their loyalty program, they really are committed to keeping these players. So right. I don't know if you're going to be able to win that. He also talked a lot about leveraging their other properties, you know, their opening hotels in all these other cities. Um, and they seem to really feel like that's going to be a big advantage for them. But I still, you know, even a property like Cosmopolitan has done partner deals with, you know, big chains that bring in. People through the same kind of the same kind of uh, relationships, and it almost sounded like he was saying, "Look, they're going; these customers are going to be um, they're going to be ha- have a strong affinity for the SLS brand." And you know, maybe that's true, but that is hard to win that kind of loyalty. I just don't see any Las Vegas customers drawn by you know motivated by brand loyalty and the brand. I think for a lot of them, it's the it's the program. So yeah. So boarding pass, yeah, people are going to stick with that because they like the deal they're getting or just because the Coast Casino's deal is worse. But I don't see them saying like, wow, this is such a cool brand. I've got to stay there. I mean, right. Maybe to some extent with the Cosmo, but I think a lot of that's also their product with the building. Yeah. So when you don't have a fantastic product, can you create that brand? I don't know. I don't know. It, I, it seems like he definitely sees his company as sort of the scrappy insurgency. 
You know, I mean, they don't have a, they've acknowledged several times that they don't have a lot of money, that they're trying to make things work. They're not going head to head with some of the other big casino casinos that target really high end players. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. But I will. I one thing I can definitely say is leaving that session, and I didn't feel any more uh, assured that they were going to succeed out there. Well, yeah, because he seems to think the big differentiator is going to be service, but everybody <laughs> says that's their differentiator. There's nobody who says that ser- their service isn't going to be the best in the industry. Right. On the other hand, like almost every place has service that's lousy. So it's kind of. If it could be something a little bit less ethereal than that, I'd be a little bit more optimistic. It's funny you mentioned that because it reminded me of something from that session, right? So he, uh, Roger asked him something along those lines, and he, and he said, you know, it was it's a famous sort of win-ism that w- one of the things that win employees are allowed to do is if a customer is unhappy, they are empowered to fix the problem, right? And and so um, when when asked that, Nazarian said, well, you know, that's fine for win. He's got lots of money. So we're going to, you know, fall back on our other strengths. He basically said, like, I can't empower my front desk clerk to, to you know, comp you a room if there's cockroaches in the <laughs> sink. Uh, so I'm going to rely on my other charms to uh, to make the customers happy. But I thought that was interesting, right? He's basically – he was saying, I can't just throw money at the problem. So I've got to – I've got to find other ways to make it work. And, you know, if I could break in again here, we already saw somebody do a refresh of an old casino, strip casino – give it a totally new look and it's kind of doing okay, but it's not setting the world on fire and that's Tropicana. Right. So, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm struggling to really see, and that's in a better location. So I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see how the dots connect. I wish I could. When Rob talks, I can, you know, when Rob talks, it kind of comes together. It's kind of like the, the picture where it's, the young woman, but then if you look at it the other way, it's the old woman. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. When Rob talks, I can see it the way he says it. And like, yeah, that makes sense. When Sam talks, I don't see it at all. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. The Sam Nazarian reality distortion field has been <laughs> turned on and stolen from the ghost of Steve Jobs. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was glad that I went. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. Um, Did he ask about me? Of course, that was his first question. (laughs) It's really rare, though, when you hear one of these things and you actually start feeling – I was just getting really annoyed because literally I could understand about 40% of the words that he was saying because he was mumbling. And it's just, dude – and when Roger was asking him questions, it was crystal clear. Right. So it's like, dude, adjust your mic or do something because it's not working. And I I don't know. Yeah. Well, that, I think that will remain the final word on the Sam Nazarian show. <laughs> and uh, with that, uh, we will call it a day. It's ended up being a little bit longer than uh, we planned, but that's okay. Um, so it is time for Sure Bets. Sure Bets is our segment of the show where we get to recommend something to you, dear listener, something that we think that you might be interested in, something that we have found useful in our own lives. It is... Maybe casino related, but it certainly doesn't have to be. Um, and so we share these with you and hope you find them interesting or useful. Um, Chuck, I'll start with you if you've got something for us. Hunter, I would like to defer my my sure bet to you. Okay. What does that mean? 
that means I'm giving you the opportunity to use my sherbet to add a second sherbet. <laughs> All right. That's it's funny because I actually do have two items today. Um, now you have three. So well, no, okay. Anyway, yes. Uh, Chuck takes a pass. That's fine. Um, Dave, do you have something for us? I do. I would like to just say again. Our thanks and gratitude to Expedition 35 from the International Space Station. They landed, I think it was Monday night, uh, undocked from the ISS earlier that day, landed in Kazakhstan. It's uh, Commander Chris Hadfield, Flight Engineers Tom Marshburn and Roma, Roman Romanenko, and uh, touchdown on their Soyuz, and they're now back learning how to live in gravity again. So it's kind of cool when you think about these three guys living up there in space for six months doing all kinds of experiments and taking pictures and tweeting them to us. And they're back on Earth now with their families, able to take actual showers. You saw uh, the the David Bowie YouTube video, I assume, right? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So good. Yeah, I'll link that in the show notes because it was just – it was uh, very very amazing. That guy, uh, Hatfield, is a genius. And it just shows you how important stuff like social media is becoming where – to me, there's nothing more fantastic than the idea that we actually have people living in space. Yeah. And it just takes something. One of the other astronauts said before Commander Hadfield, the ISS was just a light in the sky and now that's all changed. And I think it's – yeah, I mean, creating that human connection where you realize, like, wow, there's actually somebody living in space, and we're he's communicating with us, and he's telling us what his life is like up there. I think that that means a lot. So it just shows you how staying connected with people really helps to share your story. So, and they do such great work up there. Personification. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So two things I want to quickly talk about. These are probably not going. Well, at least one of them probably won't rank um, as uh, the hottest sherbet of all time. But um, as I was preparing my sh- – and I think, Chuck, you may have suggested this as a joke, but I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, as I was preparing my my show notes like I do for every show, uh, I emailed them off to my, my co-hosts here. And you know, Chuck is always quick to return fire with some witty banter. And um, I think he said something like uh, snappy or I don't know. He was commenting on the fact that my show notes, I, I have them in an outline format. And I use actually um, to do that, I use a, an app that I actually really like and would definitely recommend to anybody that needs to outline stuff um, called Omni Outliner. And it's actually available on both the Mac and the iPad. And you can share easily share documents between them. So, for instance, when I do the show notes, I usually – uh, put them together on on the Mac, and then when I'm doing the show, I'm actually using my iPad, so I can not have to stare at my computer screen the whole time. So I can flip through and uh, and make sure that we're covering everything um, from the iPad. So it's a really really great tool. Totally recommend it. Uh, if you need an outlining tool, I would definitely take a look at it. So Omni Outliner is available on the Mac and on the iPad for those that could use such a thing. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is actually something I have not tried myself, but it's uh, uh, something I wanted to put out there anyway, which is a f- friend of the show, David Ivey. Him and his wife do a show um, on the, the Vegas Video Network all about their exploits uh, all around town in the various bars. But they have actually started um, a pizza place in Chinatown in Las Vegas called uh, Wicked Pizza. And I wanted to uh, make sure to – Make sure that people know about this place. I'll put the link in 
the uh, in the show notes. So the, those of folks that live in Vegas or are visiting and want to try it should should check it out. But you know, uh, it's it's all um, handmade stuff, and um, David and Alicia are are great folks. So I uh, I definitely recommend giving it a ch- a chance if you want to try some some new pizza in town. So. I'll put that in the show notes. Definitely give people a chance to check it out. Not only are they great folks, they're weirdos too. Of course. That's the best part about them. That's right. <laughs> um, and so you can go in there and, you know, you can. they will serve you a pizza and they also know everything there is to know about Star Trek. So you can go in and ask them yes. about anything Star Trek related. Oh, yeah. If I can jump in real quick. You may. Again, um, new Star Trek movies opening tomorrow night that's true so yeah i'm gonna check it out hopefully i've been staying spoiler free so hopefully it's justified the years of anticipation very much i'm looking forward to it i hope it's a great flick all right um don't forget to rate the show on itunes we really appreciate it it's a great way for other people to find the show which uh which of course is why we do it we want people to listen um, if you want to leave a comment about today's show and let us know what you think, or disagree with us, uh, bring in your own analysis, we'd love that. You can do that at VegasGangPodcast.com. And uh, you can follow the show on Twitter, at VegasGang. The account now follows Chuck. Uh, we fixed that problem. Glit- that glitch in the matrix. <laughs> um, you can also follow us individually. You can follow Chuck. is at ChuckMonster. Uh, Dave is at UNLV Gaming. Or you can follow me at Hunter. And uh, that is it for today. Thanks to everybody for being here. Let me go around this table one more time. You can tell people where they can find you other than Twitter. If you got websites, whatever you want to call out. Dr. Dave, where can people find you? First and foremost, rollthebonesbook.com and also ggschwartz.com and uh, gaming.unlv.edu. Most excellent. Uh, Mr. Chuck Monster, where can people find you? You can find me in a secret underground bunker below the Tresinda Corporation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, you can find my app, Vegas Made, on the iTunes App Store, or you can find me on Twitter. All right. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend. All right. You too. Ba-da-boom. All right, guys. Cool. Don't we have outro music? We do. I, I'm going to replace it with that. No! <laughs> <laughs>